I just want to, I feel like this morning I need to be quite honest. Um, this week has not been easy for me, and um, what I'm preaching today is on 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, and if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn there. But really, what we're sharing today is about Paul's heart, uh, Paul's honesty, Paul's attitude. Um, and for me, it's not been easy. I think uh, January is a really hard month. Uh, generally, I think with everyone, as we start up the new year, lots of things going on, lots of expectations. And I've been kind of struggling a little bit with that in terms of just work-wise and balancing things. But God is good. And I think as part of this message, I want us to feel is that we need to be honest. Uh, we need to be really honest. And Paul, in this letter, as he writes it, is very honest about how he feels doing ministry, how he feels about uh, his heart towards the church, how he feels about just his his position and his attitude as well. So one of the things I want to encourage you, if you take anything from, from this message today, is let's be a church who are honest with each other. Yeah, let's be people who share each other's burdens. Let's be people who um, don't put up a front of saying, look at me, here I am, you know, everything's in order. Because if you're like me, life is sometimes not always orderly <laughs> in our families, and we have to be honest. And I want to just encourage you before we start just with, with that. I don't come here this morning with a facade of everything's just gone super smooth and because I've been praying and all these other things. Um, it's just one of the things we have to be honest with. So would you just, God, would you just give us grace this morning to hear the words of Paul? Would you help us, Lord, to hear mostly your voice? your voice breaking through, and the power of the Holy Spirit would be demonstrated in this place. Amen. So we're in 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians is a wonderful book. It's a wonderful book, and we've taught it the way of love. And I feel that this start of 1 Corinthians, the first two chapters, is about Paul's love towards the church, his love towards the people there. He comes with a gracious message reminding them how important it is to have unity, how important it is to be unified. And there's things that divide the church. And one of the things that he mentions in the first, first chapter is about the idea that people are drawing towards popularity. They're drawing towards their favorite preacher or their favorite leader in the church. And what's happening is that people are basically saying, I follow this person, I follow Apollos. Or some people, I follow Paul. Or some people say, I follow Peter, the original apostle. Come on, you know, join my gang, join my clan, join my clique. And that's caused diverse uh, disunity and problems within the church. Because people are taking their eyes off Jesus. They're taking their eyes off the person, the prize, the goal, the person who is everything, and they're putting their eyes onto people. And Paul uses the word human wisdom a lot to kind of demonstrate this idea that people are taking their eyes off what, what saved them. They take their eyes off the, the person, the work, and instead are looking towards maybe things like human wisdom, popularity, a great speaker, a good orator. And I don't know about you, but often Paul is basically trying to, in his first few chapters, just destroy that, that framework, that foundation of their faith. They're believing that, um, that, that he's, he's used the example that the, the cross actually is a foolish message. It's an idiotic message. It's a message that the world doesn't accept because it's so upside down in terms of what popularity would say is needed. And I just want to start quickly by just reminding us what Paul's goal is for the church. What's Paul's goal when he comes and speaks? What's Paul's goal when he goes to a city and he preaches and he tells others about Jesus? And it's found in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. Um, I should really read the whole verse, shouldn't I? It's the whole passage first. We're in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5. But let me read the whole thing, and then we're going to focus on verse 5 firstly. It says this, And I, Paul... 
When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Here we go, verse 5. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's the verse I want to start off now. We're looking today at Paul's heart towards the church. And his heart is this. He wants the church to be built on a firm foundation. And it says here that firm foundation is not, their faith is not built on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul's goal in coming to a church and building a church is not to build a popularity for himself, but it is to build genuine faith within each person he speaks to and hears his words. And what is faith? What is a genuine faith when I talk about it? A genuine faith is one that saves you. It's one that is firm and strong enough that through life's storms and through whatever you may face in life, whatever circumstances, that you can stand on this firm foundation and you will not be shaken. It is a firm foundation on which you can build your marriage, your children, your work, your ethics, your view of humanity, your view of work, your family life. It's something that through every storm will not give way. That is what Paul is calling them to. And it is not built on human wisdom. Paul's dismantling that through the chapter one. He dismantles the idea that, you know, if you listen to a great speaker, you get inspired. Sometimes we do, and that's a good thing. But that's not what you build your life on. It's not built on great philosophy or clever ideas or observations of science. That does not answer the deepest hearts and questions when you're in that pit. Do you know it is possible to gather people around a message, around a philosophy, around an idea, a concept. It's possible even to build a church around a faith that is not genuine faith. But it is possible to build a church through whatever people group from whatever culture, whatever background, whatever you have suffered, whatever you've experienced in life, whatever your background or history, it is possible and it is able, God is able to break that and to bring you into salvation. So what is the wisdom of men? We have to think a little bit about the context of what the Corinthian church was experiencing. The Corinthian church was a Greek culture. It was one where people gathered around great orators People would come and hear people with great ideas and and, and they would speak well and they would speak with uh, eloquent words and people would gather around the ideas that people had. And um, Paul's goal is is not to be like the other orators and the other speakers in the city of Corinth, people who would draw attention to themselves. His goal was not to use his abilities to convince, to coerce, to pressurise, guilt trip, or shame people into following the way of Christ. Yeah, that wasn't his goal. His goal was not building faith based on calling attention to the wrong things. 
his faith, his desire was that faith comes not through those things, but it comes through the power of God. It comes through as a gift of God. It comes through, through divine intervention that he himself could not do anything to generate or convince or to change people's lives. The saving gift of God, salvation, is a gift of God. It is divine intervention. God entering into someone's life, changing their hearts, opening their eyes, scales unveiled, and they're awakened to the beauty and majesty of Jesus. It says this in Ephesians 2, which is again a letter that Paul wrote to another church in Ephesus. It says this, By grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, that no one should boast. If you're looking for life change this morning, if you're looking for something to lift you out of the pit, it does not come through clever human wisdom or philosophy. Yes, there are some things that we can learn about being parents. There are some things that people have wisdom in, but deep internal change that transforms and brings true life through Jesus, through a relationship with God, does not come through clever words of wisdom. It comes through the person of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working inside of you as a gift to you. It's a gift to you. And that means the praise and the glory goes to him. Any good thing that comes in my life, in your life, we recognize it isn't because I've done something great. It doesn't come because my parents were wonderful or because I had a good upbringing. It comes because God in his gracious mercy has lifted me up and my eyes see his goodness. And if you suffered, if you found challenges in your life like we all do, and you're failing the baggage of that, let me tell you there is hope because even the God who we worship can use that and bring glory to us, to himself and bring life to us. That is what our hope is in. That is the firm foundation, the faith that Paul wants to bring. It's not based on the human wisdom, but based on the power of God. But Paul wants that power to rest in you. He wants it to rest in you for you to be a conduit of that grace to the world. He's calling each one of us, not just a person on this stage or on this stage or someone internet preacher or whatever it is or at a conference. He's not asking people like that for the power of God to be working through their message. He's asking you. He's asking us in our schools, in our workplaces, to our neighbors, to our dorm mates at university. He's asking us to receive the power of God, to speak words that will bring life to those who do not have it. And Paul has this power. You read, it in, you read it in the Acts of the Apostles. You read it in the book of Acts. He goes to a city. He speaks. People receive Jesus. It's like, boom, 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 done. <laughs> he goes to another place. He goes to another place. Some people reject him. But then he goes to another place and he's, people hear the message, they believe and they are baptized. Dum, 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 it's done. Paul had an anointing. He had a power. And we have that too. Because it's not about me. This is my message right now. It's not about me. It's not about how well we can speak or how we can convince. It is the power of God working in you to bring about salvation. So what is Paul's method and his message? And that's our focus of this morning. 
It says in verses, it says that Paul comes in what? Comes in weakness. Paul's method wasn't like the Corinthian church. Um, the Corinthian church, I think is very, sorry, the Corinthian city was very, is very much, I think, like our world right now, where the message of our generation, um, the message when I speak to teenagers, I work with teenagers in this church, the message that they are, promote, are promoted um, every single day of their lives is to make much of me, to promote me, to show off me. We see that in the, in, the, in the social influences that we see. We see that in the internet. We see that in marketing. Um, we see that, that the, the purpose of life they have given is to make much of themselves, to show off and to gather an audience. How many likes do I have? How many followers do I have on my account? And it's not very different to what Corinth was like. Corinth was one, a city where people would draw crowds with clever words, arguments through personality. It's almost like the, it, was, it was approved upon. The whole culture was based upon an idea that you were famous. You used speech to gain an audience because it showed how smart you were, how clever you were, how good of an argument or orator you were. And the whole aim was self-glorification, a display of who I am. And that is where Paul draws the line. He says, I enter into Corinth. I, chose, I choose not to be anything like what your people see, what you see as being worthy. But instead, he says, I do not come proclaiming wisdom. I do not come with speeches or plausible words of wisdom. But Paul says this, but I did come. Paul comes intentionally. He chooses to know nothing more than Christ crucified. He comes in weakness, fear, and trembling. There wasn't a great ego-centric pleasing reception for Paul when he does these things. There weren't dinners or Academy Awards for him in the city of Corinth. And he tells us how he feels. He comes fearful, weak, and he feels ineffective. That is how Paul, the great apostle, entered into a city. I wonder how many of you feel that way. This morning, I'm going to ask you to go out this week and share the gospel. That's what we've been talking about in our kind of our, our going deeper sessions and, uh, and tonight at Sunday Night Cafe. But how many of you feel when I say that to you? Actually, when Jesus says that to you, not me. When Jesus says, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. How many of you feel, feel this? You feel weak. You feel fearful. You feel ineffective. You're in great company. <laughs> You're with the, apostle, the great apostle Paul. Because he says, he says that I do not come with lofty speech, clever wisdom, convincing arguments. I come with this message, Christ crucified. Paul comes with the primary message. His primary mindset is the message, not impressing the audience. And that's hard. That's hard, guys. Because it requires something of us. It requires us to realize that we are weak. But he is strong. And he is mighty to save. And he has all authority to save not me, not you, 
but he graciously somehow uses us. I don't know if you need encouragement this morning. I certainly do. We can read about Paul's um, journey into Corinth in Acts 18. It's amazing. I love how the Bible does this. It allows you to kind of see his heart, like what's going on inside of Paul. Fear, trembling, ineffectiveness, that feeling. But also you get to see how, it, how he experienced it in real life, you know, in the, in the writings of Acts, which is an account of what happens there. And in Acts 18, you can read about Paul's entering the city of Corinth. It's amazing. And you see kind of the, 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 almost like the, the, um, the timeline of his time there. And he says there he lived in Corinth for 18 months. And during that time, he went to the Jews and his synagogues and tried to convince them that Jesus was the Christ, the Savior, the one they'd been looking for. And the Jews rejected him and opposed him. Then he goes and preaches to the non-Jews, the Gentiles, it calls them, the Greeks in the city. And this is what happens in Acts 18, verse 8 to 10. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Not just him, but his entire household. I love that. One person in the family received Jesus, and the whole family, the whole household receives Jesus. It's amazing. That's the power we're wanting here. And many of the Corinthians heard Paul and believed and were baptized. Boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. Paul preached it. God did a work of power. People believed and were baptized. Isn't that what we want, church? Isn't that what we want? We want that power. We want that reality of God's power in our lives, in our lives every day, working through us somehow. But you know what? We learn what's behind this message as well. We see simply that Paul did it, but we also hear his heart. He came fearful. He felt ineffective. He felt weak. And we read in verse 9, and I love this because the Lord speaks here. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. This morning, if you are feeling weak, fearful, and ineffective, I believe these words the Lord Jesus wants to speak into your life this morning. Don't be afraid, my child. Go on speaking. I am with you, says the Lord. And I have many in this city, in your school, in your workplaces, on your street, who are my people, who I'm going to save. People, I want us this morning to realize that it's not about us. It's about being humble before a God who is mighty to save. And his word to you this morning, if that's your encouragement, don't be afraid. Go on speaking. I am with you, says the Lord, and I have many who are my people who I'm going to save. So firstly, Paul's method is this, weakness. (laughs) That's the method of evangelism for him. It is weakness, acknowledging he is weak, but God is great and strong. What is his message? What is Paul's message? It is simply Christ crucified. Christ crucified isn't a great message for the world. 
Paul says it in the early verses. For those who are perishing, it is foolishness. But for those who are being saved, it is the power and the wisdom of God. When we bring this message to the world, we should expect confusion. <laughs> we should expect rejection. We should expect resistance because it is foolishness, not just to the Corinthian church, but to our day and age now. But we mustn't change the message. We mustn't change the message because that is the power of God that works through the message of Christ crucified. What does it mean? Let's just, just take a step. I know Anne's been doing a great job of already, so I don't want to be repeating too much. Go listen to the last few weeks. But Christ crucified is about Christ. It is about the fact that there is a Messiah, a mighty Savior whose coming has come. And it's about him crucified. What an oxymoron. <laughs> a mighty warrior, savior, promised to us who suffered a humiliating, criminal, lowest, despicable death. But this gospel message speaks powerfully into humanity's life. It speaks of it because it is firstly a gospel message that is humbling. It is good news because it was humbling. It shows us the depth of my nature, the depth of your nature, that death and sinful nature, that sinful nature requires the payment of death, that we are sinners. The world doesn't like to hear that, does it? The world does not like to hear that they are sinners. The message confronts. It says that you do not have enough. You don't have enough to save yourself. You are in need of a savior, a messiah. But the message is powerful because it says that Jesus saves through his death, and through his resurrection from the dead. And it is a message of hope that there is forgiveness for whatever you have done, whatever your history, whether you think you're a good guy, whether you think you know you're a bad guy, there is nothing that can hold you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It is a message of hope because you are adopted as a child of God. You see, this message is not a message of salvation that is an impressive message. You don't just add the gospel onto your already impressive portfolio of achievements. The message of the cross is not a clever five-step program to upgrade your life and to somehow make it, you know, and 2.0 or ed 3.0 or whatever it may be. It's not the next thing to make you a greater person. It is a call to abandon your self-sufficiency. It is a call to repentance and surrender. And it's a call to put all your bags, all your eggs in one basket, which is Jesus Christ, and to lay down your life. That is what we're calling the world to. And we have to do, we do it not with eloquent words or changing the message, because if we do, if we make it soft on the edges, or we make it more plausible somehow, or about philosophy, or about giving yourself, you know, a lot of people come to church just because they want the kids to be moral. Uh, and I were talking about this week just about what is it that we want for our kids in this church? Is it just for them to have friends and to just you know, get along on a Sunday and survive? Or have at least have a good time and have fun? No. I want my kids to experience Jesus in all his fullness and hopefully make a few friends on the way and encourage other people. Yes, definitely. But more importantly, I want them to receive Jesus and his Holy Spirit. And maybe that's fair for you as well. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you've come, maybe you feel that you just need a bit of upgrade in your life. I'm coming here to say there's something more. There is Christ. There is a life that is lived by knowing him and he changes everything. And his life isn't an upgrade. It is a transformation. It is a revelation. It is a radical change which changes everything for you. See, the way of salvation is offensive to the wisdom of the world. And Paul says that in chapter 1. Salvation is a disgrace is through a disgraceful execution of a lowly Jewish carpenter who just happened to be the son of God. It's not impressive. The gospel doesn't come in a package that is impressive to powerful people. Let me just say that again. The gospel is not, does not come in a package that is impressive to powerful people. But for those who are being saved, it is the power and the wisdom of God. So come on. Each of us, we have to get on board with this message. We have to get on board with Christ crucified. And that's why we talk about it all the time. That's why we sing about it. That's why we take communion. Because it is about Christ crucified. Not me living a great life and adding him on. But him taking everything of who we are. And making it his own. And you can share that message. Let me encourage you. During those times when you're fearful. When you're anxious. When you're not sure what to say. Just share Christ crucified. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for you in that conversation, in the opportunity that God may give you on a Monday morning with your colleagues or your friends at school? But Paul doesn't just talk about proclaiming a message. He does talk about that. But I want to say that Paul's way in which he also displayed the gospel to those around him was how he lived it out. The gospel message isn't just us saying something and hoping and just, just saying a number of words in a right sequence of orders. That's important, and that's one of the things hopefully you've been learning on the Going Deeper courses on the Thursday night. But the gospel message is also that has to be lived out in your life. It has to be a demonstration of what Jesus has done in your life. And this is how Paul, I guess, summarizes how he lives out the gospel. He says this in Galatians. This is my favorite verse in the Bible, I think. Uh, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but the life I live, I live for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's life, his, his whole life, not just a part of his life, is shaped by the, the gospel, by the crucified Savior. He says, I choose to crucify my own life. I choose to lay aside my rights and take up what Christ has given me. I no longer live. I live for the Son of God who loved me. Man, this came hard for me this week. This came realization for me this week is that I am called not just to enjoy the benefits of the cross, but to live in the reality of the cross. I'm called to crucify my own desires, not to boost myself, but to boost him. Galatians 6.14, again, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does that mean? Paul says, I no longer boast about myself. I no longer try to build myself up, my own reputation. But I'm boasting now in the wonder and the beauty of Jesus. What a beautiful saviour he is. What a wonderful saviour he is. What a powerful saviour he is. That is what Paul lived out in his life. And that's why I think one of the things that we have to learn 
is that we have to choose to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. I'm not sure what that looks like for you. And this isn't a message of condemnation. It's a message of what the calling of your Savior has for your life. He's calling you to, to take up your cross and to follow him. And Jesus, mean, Jesus means to say that because he knows that there is a way you have to live which is boasting about him, not about yourself. So my question to you, church, is as we try and apply this truth, what is the message of your life? When we take a real step forward, step backwards, and just, and just think about that, what is the message of my life? Am I aiming for I don't know, I'm trying to think of myself. What is, when I ask myself this question, what is the message of my life? Does it demonstrate that Jesus is my treasure? Does it demonstrate that he is more precious to me through the choices that I make? Do I allow people to see my life? Do I allow people into my world, into my life, so that they know what I'm like inside? My weaknesses, my struggle. Or do I put on this facade as this elder in this church who does things and tries to be all this and that, but do they see that it is because of the grace of God that I stand and have confidence in him? So we have to ask ourselves, what is the message of our life? Do we portray this front of everything's good, everything's cool, everything's awesome, you know, because I follow Jesus, and uh, yeah, I have, I have like 2.4 children, you know, it's all good, you know, everything's fine. But when we enter into people's lives, when we allow people into our lives, they see the messiness, they see the reality of what's going on, but they also see the wonder of a savior working through all of that. And that is what I want my life to portray, and that's what Paul portrays. He comes to Corinth in weakness, intentionally. He comes with fearfulness and trembling, all to show that God is working in him and has nothing to do with his power or his message. So we have, Paul's, um, we have Paul's method, which is he comes in weakness. We have his message. We have Paul's message, which is Christ crucified. And where does, this all come, where does the power of God come into this? I just love how when, I look, when you look through the Bible, God chooses to use simple people with a simple message to display his awesome power. We don't have to look too far, to be honest, to see how God's in the business of using simple, weak people with a simple message to bring about his power. Noah, get in the boat. <laughs> Everybody, get in the boat. Be saved. That was his message to the world. And God brought a flood and judged the world, but saved those who were in the boat. Abraham, a worshipping, moon-worshipping pagan. God will provide a lamb for the offering. When he was about to ask to sacrifice his son, he did it with obedience. But God stopped him and intervened. And he said this, God will bring a lamb for the offering. Simple people with a simple message. And God intervened and brought about him with the nation of Israel. Moses, a fugitive from Egypt. Let my people go. 
simple people, a simple message. And God pulled through, split the Red Sea, brought his people out from darkness, under oppression, into freedom. David, King David, the great king, a shepherd boy with a heart for God, before the great giant Goliath, you come with me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Simple people, a simple message, which God was able to use. Paul, the great apostle, I preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and followers to Gentiles, but those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, the Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. A simple person with a simple message. And God used him powerfully. And I want to encourage you this morning that if you want to take the gospel, the good news to your friends and those around you, your neighbors, to your family members, we need to learn to be a simple people with a simple message and allow the power of God to work through us. This is something we need to embrace, people. This is something we need to embrace, church. We need to embrace being simple in our stature before God. We need to be poor to the world, but rich in Christ. We need to live a crucified life, a life that is not about us dying to ourselves, but alive for Jesus. We need to show them a life, this world, a life which is shaped by that good news. Honestly, before people who see us, share our lives. But we also have to have a simple message. This message is foolishness to the world. It is offensive. It's not going to be accepted under the world's terms. And maybe we just need to remind ourselves of that message every week. That's why we come here for encouragement. That's why we come and take bread and drink the wine. Because it shows us and reminds us that we need Jesus. And that is the hope in which we have. That's all the hope that we have to offer to this world. And I just want to encourage you this morning that if you're weak like me, if you feel ineffective, if you feel like you haven't got the message all right, you don't know what to say, then you exactly what God wants to use. You are exactly what God will use to bring people to him. Because it's not about being proud. It's not about having it all in order. It's about being humble and being a vessel for the mighty king to use and to display his power and glory through you. Paul says this just to close in 2 Corinthians 12. He says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Jesus, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Your weakness this morning, your frailties, your feeling of inadequacy is an opportunity for God to display his power and strength. So what I'm calling you this morning is not to be intimidated, not to feel depressed by our ordinariness or inadequacies, but to be just you, to be you before Jesus, to be honest before him, and to allow him to display his glory in you. 
God can use you. God can use me. God can use you tomorrow, the next week. Not because you are impressive, but because he is mighty to save. And for that to happen, I want to invite you this morning, just as I felt I had to do this week, is to humble yourself. To lay aside our impress- what we think is impressive. And to allow God to just you be, us to be open and broken vessels for his glory to fill and for us to go out and just be faithful in our weakness, in our fragility, so that his glory might be displayed and people would come to know him and love him. So if that is your desire this morning, if that is your desire that somehow you don't know how this is going to work out, I don't know how this is going to work out, but if you just know in your knower that Jesus needs to be proclaimed. I want to invite you to stand and I invite you to, just as we've been doing already, lift our hands to receive. I want to pray for God's spirit to be empowered upon you. God says that, in Acts, he says that, um, wait for the spirit to come and he will empower you to be my witnesses. And that's what I'm asking. And God's going to use, he, he fills vessels that are empty. Isn't that wonderful? So I'm going to ask God this morning to empty ourselves of our pride, empty us of our clever ideas, and to fill us with a passion for his name and a desire to see the lost come to know him. And I just felt from just what we shared this morning that we should pray for parents. Maybe your children are in this church right now and the leaders are doing a great job in emptying themselves and allowing the Holy Spirit, hopefully, to just make a difference in their lives. But maybe your children aren't in this room right now. And your heart is breaking for them. And just as was brought this morning, I feel that we should pray for, our, for, for families and parents where your children, you see them and they're not walking with the Lord or they feel far away or they're in different circumstances. I want to pray that God would fill you with that simple message because you, they see, they see your weaknesses, don't they? Your kids see your weaknesses the most. But through that, we pray that God's mercy and His goodness and His power would be displayed through you. So I want to pray for us this morning. If that's your position right now, would you stand with me? Just invite God's Holy Spirit to fill us afresh this morning. Father, you've given us this impossible task of trying to bring this world to you. But I thank you, Lord God, that we don't do that because it's in our power. We don't do this because we have some clever philosophy or idea or we figured it all out and got the perfect message to bring. But we do it because you are a great God who is mighty to save and you use empty vessels for your glory. So Holy Spirit, I just invite you this morning Would we unfill ourselves, Lord? Would we empty ourselves of our pride? Would we empty ourselves? Empty us, Lord, of the fear of man. Empty us, Lord, of the fear of rejection. But Lord, would you fill us this morning? Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh. Fill us with boldness, Lord. Fill us with compassion. Fill us with mercy. 
fill us with a love and compassion for the lost. We're just going to wait for the Holy Spirit. you in our weakness and we ask God maybe Jesus right now you are stirring in people people who we need to place before you maybe they're in our workplaces maybe they're our colleagues but let's let the Holy Spirit just bring people to mind right now people you know who need to hear about him God wants to say to you this morning, do not be fearful. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. God wants you to know that he is with you. and That he is planning to save those in your city, in your schools, in your workplaces, on your street. And would you just be a vessel for him? Why don't we just start to pray? Pray for those who are lost. Pray for those God is bringing to our minds right now. Come on, church. We can cry out to our God because he is mighty to save. Let's start praying for them. Let's start naming them before the Lord this morning. Let's allow his compassion to fill our hearts as we pray. Lord, we pray for the lost. Thank you, Jesus. You're mighty to save. Declare your goodness, Lord. your people, Lord, who are weak, to display how strong you are. Bless you, Jesus. Let's feel that God wants to call some of you to be evangelists. Do you know that the ministry of evangelism is a ministry that God gives as a gift to this church? And being evangelist, as we know from Paul's example here, doesn't mean you have to be a great speaker, but you just know that the lost is on your heart. You just know that God is calling you. That's your calling. That's what God has called you to be. And we want to pray for evangelists in this church, people who will equip the church to be able to display and to convey the gospel with anointing. And I don't know if that's you, just felt that was something we want to pray for in this church. If you feel that you might have that calling on your life to be an evangelist, I just want you to just raise your hands even higher if you can and just ask God to fill you and to make that gift true and to fulfill that gift and for you to exercise that gift. But for also you to be a blessing to this church, make yourself known to us We want to encourage that gift. We want to encourage that ministry in this place. We need people who are evangelists with that gift in this place. So I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would raise up people in this community with the ministry of evangelism. 
people who will be people who encourage this body to be more effective for you and have the anointing that comes from the very gifts of God. Oh Lord, how we need that ministry. Lord, how we need that people, these people in this church, not to bring glory to themselves, but to bring glory to your kingdom, to build your kingdom. Lastly, I want to pray for parents. I want to pray if you feel that you're, you just want to pray for your kids, whether they're in this church or whether they're not. Um, I want to ask you to be brave. I want to ask you, we have a prayer ministry team at the front. And, and if you want to just bring your children before the Lord this morning, if you feel comfortable, we're going to ask you as the band plays now, we're going to sing and worship. But if you have children, if you want to bring to the Lord this morning and I believe that God will use you you are the primary source I believe of the good news of gospel because you live it out before them in all your frailties and all your weaknesses but if we want to pray for you to have strength this morning we want to pray for you to point them to Jesus we want to pray for you to be effective and God will be effective as we just live humbly and share that message through our lives to our young people, to our children. But if that's you this morning, maybe you want to come to the front and we want to pray for you just on the sides here. Like you won't be in the line of the cameras. This doesn't mean you're a bad parent. This is an encouragement. This is a step of faith to say, I trust not in my clever wisdom, but I trust in the power of God. This is what we're calling you this morning to do. So if you want to have that, if you want to pray, come and pray with these guys on the side. We want to minister to you especially. But as we do, let's worship, Johnny. Let's ask God to continue to be in our presence and to fill us and to teach us.